So here's a really interesting scenario. You grew up in a really famous New York family. Everybody knows you, as, as Liz says. Her family was in the news probably every day of her life as she was growing up. You go off to Vogue magazine, you're an assistant, and you're thinking, this is not enough for me. I want to do something else. And how does somebody like that make their way into becoming a fashion superstar? Liz Lang, of course, she really created the category of modern maternity wear, in my opinion. I wish she had been around when I was having children because I was stuck with horrible, frou-frou, silly, girly stuff. Um, And then how do you go on from there? How do you go on to working in another fashion brand? She has the fashion brand Fig from France. And now she's doing a podcast about her family. I mean, it's interesting because like you, I've run into people like this my whole life. And a lot of them, you know, they don't have to work so hard, so they don't. And I will be honest, there were a lot of them in publishing and they were hired and they were around for different reasons. As Liz says, um, our old boss needed to know what New York society was about. And it was helpful to have her identify people in photos. Um, But you don't really have to do much more than that. So why do some people go on and really bang it out and become incredible successes? And what gives them that burning sense of desire to be something and create something. And she is such a superstar and it's such a wonderful story to hear. And you're just going to love Liz Lang. And here she is. So welcome, Liz. I'm so glad to hear you're doing so many great things. It made me so excited to see what you're reinventing yourself again as. Thanks so much, Leslie. It's so fun to be here. So let's talk a little bit about how we met so everybody understands. We met way before either of us reinvented. You were at Vogue. What were you doing at Vogue when I was there? You know, it was my first job out of college, actually. And I was an assistant. I worked um, for the part of that magazine. Do you remember back then we called it Talking Fashion, but it was really party Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Talking Fashion. I used to write the copy. Yes. Yes. And I wrote, you know, at, you were a, you were a, already a very established writer. I was a lowly right. assistant, but right. sometimes I got, you know, I got to assign photographers. I got to sort of, you know, go to some of the parties. It was really, you know, as a 22 year old, just out of college, it was kind of a dream job. Kind of crazy and fun. Yeah. And then what happened? I mean, many people know your name, Liz Lang for your maternity wear. So give us just a little background on how that came about. Yeah, well, you know, I realized after a couple of years at Vogue that as much as I love fashion, it just wasn't feeling quite right to me. I left to go work with a young designer who was sort of struggling. While he was struggling, I'm trying to say this really quickly. But uh, that's was, okay. You don't have to be that quick. <laughs> it's, it is, it's such a long story. Okay. But while he was struggling, uh, my friends, you know, we were all getting married. My friends started having uh, babies. And I noticed that they were sort of squeezing themselves into regular clothes, including his clothes. So I said to him, because I was not a designer myself, I had gone to Brown, I had a degree in comparative literature, not, you know, not at all a designer. So I said to him, you know, I think I have an idea to turn around your business. I think don't change a thing about your clothing. Just just add the word maternity to the label. 
And see oh, what I happened. didn't realize that's yes. how it was. I didn't yes. realize. He, oh, no, wow. he, didn't. he didn't. So he thought I was, the returning was so unsexy of a category. Oh, yes. This was a category back in the 90s. I this know. was like 95, 96. He absolutely laughed in my face, thought it was crazy. I, it's this typical entrepreneur story. I didn't know I was an entrepreneur. I wouldn't have used that word. Right. I just couldn't get the idea out of my head. I was, I was up at like the middle of the night. I couldn't stop thinking about it. <laughs> Finally, I know it was crazy. Finally, I basically said, I'm not a designer, but I think I have to do this. Uh, so I, yeah. And I just sort of left and started, like, I figured out how to make some clothing for some friends. And the idea was that it should be very fitted and stretch fabrics were new back then. And that everything should be stretchy instead of oversized. So it could grow with you. And I knew from Vogue about dressing celebrities. So I thought I need to dress some celebrities. And honestly, the rest is kind of um, history, but it was a big surprise to me the way that it took off. That's so awesome. And I'll tell you my big maternity moment when I was at Vogue, because I had babies before you were in business, which was such a bummer, mm-hmm. is that the only choice I had were these ridiculous outfits with puffy sleeves and little Peter Pan collars and tenty, tenty tops and all this, which I was mortified at. And you couldn't wear that to Vogue, right? So I took some Michael Kors. I remember very specifically, it was a Michael Kors velour stretch skirt and top, like little t-shirt. And I squeezed myself into that. And I remember, I don't know if you remember, do you remember Shirley Lord, the beauty director? I remember Shirley (laughs) Lord, of course. And I remember exactly the outfit you're talking about, just so you know, I don't want to interrupt you, but your your pregnancy style was very cutting edge. Nobody was doing that back then. You looked incredible because you were very petite and you couldn't wear big oversized things. It would have been horrible. Seriously, I knew you were going to say black stretchy skirt. I knew it was Michael Kors. it, It stands out. Yeah. Yeah, but it was no, but that's what I did. I, and I, and then I was stuck as I got, you know, as I got bigger, where was I going to go? And um, I remember seeing your stuff afterwards going, darn, that's what I needed. And I wish I'd had it, which is fantastic. So when did you stop producing your clothes or do you still well, do that? What's, no. what's happening? So I started the brand in 1997. By 2007, it was actually the largest uh, maternity power brand in the United States. God. I had, yeah, it was crazy. Incredible. It was a very fast uh, growth. So I had, you know, I was managing like a hundred employees at <gasps> my target business and my Nike business. And I had two children at that point. I hadn't had any children when I started the business, but oh I had a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old. And in 2007, I, it was a bubble kind of like right now. And there was just so much money chasing brands. And frankly, I got it. I wasn't planning to sell the brand. It never even crossed my mind. Again, things like exit strategy and stuff. I didn't know these words. Right. Um, but I, um, I got an offer uh, that I couldn't refuse and it all, and so I sold it, but in so doing it meant that I couldn't design maternity clothes ever again, like, which is, oh. is, is okay, but it's, yeah, I sold my name and the rights oh. to maternity, okay. yes. but for, you know, for, I, I don't, not, not bragging at all, but for a very attractive uh, number at the time. And I stayed on as the face of Liz Lang for Target, which was a, an 18 year licensing deal that I had signed in 2001. Wow. So for a long time, I did that, but I, it, but I, maybe it's your next question, but because once I sold, I kind of had to reinvent again. So I did. Uh-huh. Some so you did stay on for 18 years doing that? I stayed on until the contract ran out. It was an 18 year contract that I think weirdly ran out in like 2017, 2018, because it had started in 2001. I wow. started in 2007. And then um, I actually went on, I couldn't do maternity. I knew I just wanted to be working. I felt too young to be done, even though I had cashed out, it just didn't feel right. So 
coincidentally, the woman that used to be the head of Nike's women apparel, who I had done a Liz Lang for swoosh uh, licensing deal with, was had become, it's Mindy Grossman. Um, oh, Mindy, had, I know yeah, Mindy. She had become the CEO of Home Shopping Network. And she right. approached me and said, hey, come do a line of non-maternity clothing for us. So I didn't really know what that would be like, but I thought, yeah, why not? So I started, I did that. And I actually did that for 10 years. I would go to Tampa where their studios are located once a month. And for three days, you basically nonstop sell on air. Like you don't sleep, you know, you sell from, you know, two to four in the morning. And then again, from wow. six to eight, just 27. It was, it was exhilarating and fun, but very exhausting. And so after 10 years, I was kind of done with that, but that was my second, I guess, or third reinvention. God, incredible. Absolutely incredible. And now we're on your next reinvention. I read this, I don't remember where I read it, but the minute I heard about it, I was like, oh my God, I got to check in with her again and see what she's up to. Let's talk about your new reinvention. So thank you. So I'm doing two things now. Um, the first is uh, during COVID, I mean, perhaps the most important, during COVID, one of my favorite brands, a women's dress brand that I had been a fan of since it launched, uh, this brand called Fig. It's the French spelling, F-I-G-U-E, but it's just like the fruit fig. Um, it had been started about 10 years ago by a friend of mine named Stephanie von Watzdorf, who had been the founding designer also of Tory Burch, but left to start Fig. So I was a huge fan, a huge customer, got word last fall that she was kind of done, that COVID had kind of done her in, that she was just winding down the brand. And I thought like, oh my goodness, this is sort of meant to be. Like, I love the brand, I'll acquire the brand. I have I have the background, not just as a fan and customer, but you know, as a, as right. a brand builder, retailer myself. So in December, which, what, what is that now? Like almost a year ago, I acquired the brand. And December, I, 2020? Yes, during the height, it was during COVID. I was oh in- Oh my God, yeah, I okay. Beach. I did it by phone. You uh, go girl. Okay. It's crazy, but it was just such a great opportunity. And I was feeling like I needed my next opportunity. I was done with Home Shopping Network. I was investing in brands that I liked and trying to be helpful, but it didn't feel busy enough. It still felt like it wasn't my brand. And so um, right. and I wasn't really, I didn't want to, I know what it takes to start a brand from scratch. And at my age and my stage of life, that I'm not doing. So the fact that this brand already existed, had employees that I could rehire, had brand recognition, all of it made it very appealing to me. So I acquired it my debut collection because you know it's like long lead magazines like it's almost like you become editor-in-chief yes. issue is until months later so even though I've owned it since December my first collection as creative director and CEO just hit uh, our fig website and you know it's about to hit our retailers um uh Friday so this is good oh, to talking wow about uh yeah so that was number one uh, so that's the big thing. So I'm very, very involved with that um, and sort of growing that and relaunching it and psyched about it and loving it. Um, and then not to give that short trip, but just to also tell you, then at the same time, you know, actually months earlier, uh, but uh, it just hit, also just hit about a month ago. Uh, a friend of mine who's a, uh, you may know her, her name is Aria Levy. She's a writer for The New Yorker. She's a brilliant oh, yeah. Yeah, she's absolutely brilliant. She's a great writer. She always wanted me to do a memoir because I have kind of a crazy family story and she loved it. I mean, she knew it as a close friend of mine. So we talked about doing a memoir that she maybe would sort of help me in ghost write. She ghost, she ghost wrote Demi Moore's um, and others. And so um, we talked about it, but it just never really happened. 
Then she got this deal with Sony during COVID. It all happened during COVID. It was actually last summer, not this past summer, but a year ago. Uh, and uh, similar to you, she she had this. Uh, the podcast was about was supposed to be about um, people whose lives have taken unexpected turns. I mean, kind of similar to yours, not the same exactly. Right. And she came to me basically and said, "Can I do an episode on you? There's so much in your life that has has been unexpected." And I was like, "Sure." So we did that. And then she said, "Sony loves it so much. They actually." want it to be the season you know could we do eight episodes and just (laughs) you know which is crazy and you know maybe it's just the crazy entrepreneur in me maybe I just don't even realize it but I should have given it a ton of thought I you know not I'm not saying maybe it's it's sort of like starting my own business people are always like oh wow that was so brave I'm like I don't know I didn't give it a ton of thought I just kind of jumped in so I'd like that I sort of just jumped into this and I've I love doing it I learned a lot I find it like you know I I I love it. It's a great piece of history of my family, but it is interesting when you come out publicly with a memoir yes. and your family's in it, you know, it's not easy. So now do you have a book or just the podcast? It's just the podcast. Great. Turn it into a book. I could turn it into a TV series. I may do none of the above because I'm certainly not looking to distance myself any further um, <laughs> from my family. <laughs> but I think the podcast is really great and I find it very moving and it's called the just enough family. And it's not, um, I don't, you know, it's not, it's, it's, it's just honest. And a lot of my family participated. Oh, they did. Okay. So they weren't Mm -hmm. mad at you for revealing family secrets because you're a pretty well-known family and there are probably a lot of people who don't want to get too open. Right. Were you, I mean, were they upset at all? Yeah. I mean, I tried not to tell secrets about anybody but myself. Okay. Um, and then and you, you'll listen to it. You'll hear. I, I say some personal stuff, but my parents, my sister, uh, my aunt, one of my aunts, two of my aunts, actually, and one of my cousins, two of my cousins, sorry, did participate. So um, I don't think they're mad. I think despite despite participating, it's still like, oh, well, I didn't know it was going to be like this or like that or, you know. I mean, everyone seems to have their own little gripes, but nothing too terrible. And what do you think is the seed of the interest in your family? What's Give us an idea so people know what they're going to come here. Okay. So, well, I grew up with my maiden name, as you know, was Steinberg. And if you, and in, if you lived in New York City in the 70s and the 80s, and I don't mean this braggy because it's certainly not true anymore. I'm going back, you know, like 40 years. Uh, the Steinberg family was pretty well known because my uncle was a very, very famous businessman. Um, and so we lived this very crazy, we were, I, again, it all sounds braggy now, but mm-hmm. the context is it's no longer true. So I'm not talking about present day. I'm talking about- So you're my- like Anderson Cooper, who says he went back and looked at the history of his, he stayed clear of his family history for a long time because it was no longer true. Right. And I don't mind that. I, the only reason I'll tell it is because it's no longer true. It right. feels like it'd be a huge brag fest for me right. to start saying, oh, we've got this, we've got that. Right. We but right. because I was talking about my childhood, I could talk about the, the level of wealth that I grew up with that was very, un, very unusual in New York in the late 60s, 70s, and 80s. Today, everyone is kind of a hedge funder or they've done some tech stock or, or biotech, but these things didn't exist. So there were only a few names that everybody associated with you know, enormous fortunes. Um, and honestly, ours was one of them. So, and my family was very public and everybody knew. And so this is a bit about what it felt like to grow up like that 
and sort of what else was going on other than just the money. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. Sure. Um, and um, we were very public. Um, and, you know, I think there wasn't a day that I didn't see something about my uncle on page six or the equivalents. Wow. You know, when I was, you know, in again, in the 70s and the 80s. I mean, when I got to Vogue, it was a huge fascination of Anna's. I mean, she, I was, she was calling me into the art room all the time to show me pictures, to ask me who people were. Oh, my goodness. Story, because she was new to the United States. She was, you know, just sort of new from the UK. Yes, that's so interesting. All, all those little tidbits make sense now. I understand more and more of what was going on in Anna's mind at that time, which I, yes. I had a hard time understanding because I came from the, the work your way up <laughs> group because I had been there before. I'd been hired by Grace. And, oh. um, and then she actually, you know, she let me stay, which was unusual. And, um, but definitely different from, you know, how she populated the rest of it, you know, um, around us, we were kind of the hangovers, but that's so interesting. Makes a lot of sense. Yes. yes. Um, and yeah, so, um, and I always laugh about it. Like I was a terrible assistant. I really was awful. And <laughs> I, mean, I, I would fire me now, you know, I've changed a lot. Very young. hundred percent fire me. But uh, the truth is Anna would never fire me. Like she would fire people around me. <laughs> never, never. Um, so I always thought that was interesting, but uh, yes, it's so cool that you got to stay for a huge compliment. Cause I know it was totally like house cleaning after. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I was a worker bee and she, I guess she realized she needed a few worker bees to hang around because otherwise the magazine wouldn't get put out. Yeah, exactly. So, I was not a worker bee. <laughs> no, none of her, none of I her people were. Yeah, I, I, I know. hundred percent. I, I work. And that's what's so fascinating, but you always kind of were, because I remember when you and I used to talk about what you were going to do next and you were going to go, you were applying to Columbia or something. Weren't you going back for your social work yeah, degree or I something? I remember that. Yeah. Cause we were taught you needed a reference or something. I don't remember, but you were definitely not you were not a lottie da like I'm just gonna hang around and you know go to party person. I ever. wasn't, which is weird. I wasn't. You're right. Um, and I forgot that was my initial idea. I thought I was gonna do that. I ended up meeting this designer, Stephen D. Geronimo. He's no longer in business, and I didn't. And I fell in love with what he was doing. And sort of up, weirdly, even though I had grown up in Manhattan on the Upper East Side. I was honestly, you know, for, again, for better or for worse, not terribly familiar with sort of the gritty garment center, which it was. Right? Back in the 90s. Oh God, yes. Yeah. So I fell in love with that. And I basically begged Stephen, who had no money to pay me. Literally, I said, you know, I'm making no money at Vogue. I don't care. I, <laughs> it doesn't I, matter. <laughs> yeah, I just want to be around what you're doing. I'll do anything. And I was kind of his all around apprentice. I mean, I remember we both were, I mean, again, time hasn't, I'm certainly not this today, but back then I was skinny. So I was his fit model. I arranged his fashion shows. I went up, I went on fabric appointments. I learned everything. And I don't think had I not done that and absorbed all that, I never could have started Liz Lang maternity. People always like simplify it and they'll say, oh, yes. well, she worked at Vogue. It's like when you work at Vogue, as you, you know, don't learn it. Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> you can learn how to, who to sit next to Anna at a party right exactly the last thing I would have known is how to find a factory how to get samples made I mean of course right. I mean, that would have been it's almost funny thinking about it so yeah. so what makes you such a go-getter because obviously you didn't have to be where do you get that from were you always that kind of kid I mean because you always struck me as different I mean there were a lot of 
um, la-di-da kids who came in and out of there. And, um, but you always struck me as somebody different. What well, was that? That's so nice. I think like, and again, I don't know if this is going to make very unflattering about myself, but I'll, I'll be very honest. I've always been kind of, I, you might've been this way too, actually. I've always been, and I mean this, I don't mean this as a bad word, kind of competitive. Like I was a, I cared a lot about my grades at school. You know, I was a, you know, I went to this competitive Trinity High School here in New York. I was at the top of my class. I went to Brown. I cared a lot about being good at things like that hmm. mattered to me. So I think that is a connection. I, I didn't want to not be like, like being, it sounds kind of crazy, being smart, being kind of accomplished. I always knew that that meant something to me. I think. I don't know that I thought I was going to end up working so hard, though. I really don't. I think when I was at Vogue, I probably thought if I could go back that I was going to do that for a while, get married, have kids. And I don't know. I, I don't know what I thought I was going to do with my life. But I, if you had told me that I was going to be, you know, running a company, always caring about doing that, I think something hit me when when Liz Lang maternity took off in the way that it did. I kind of got bitten by, you know, the fun of, of business and now I can't really imagine, you know, my, again, as I said, even during COVID, I was bored. Like I need, I started needing that, but I don't, I don't know. That's but. interesting. So are either of your parents like that? Did it come from your, your, are your other siblings industrious yeah. like you or? I mean, um, you know, my sister was a graphic designer and now she's just recently launched a, like a dog shampoo business. So she obviously cares about doing things like that too. My mother Although she didn't really work when I was growing up, when my parents divorced, which happened when I was 25, not be, again, not because she needed the money, she didn't, but she kind of didn't want to not be doing anything. And she became a real estate broker, but a top real estate broker. I think she oh, interesting. Some years was the top real estate broker um, in New York City. So wow. maybe I always, maybe you she was, always, that. yeah. And maybe my family was a family of entrepreneurs. My uncle's, you know, our family business was, you know, very, very important. In the interesting yeah because a lot of the kids that came through vogue didn't do anything with themselves and it's interesting yeah. how a few did and why that happened so if if people are listening and there could be people who are who are listening who have are in similar situations to yours um even when you were younger where you know maybe they're they're in a good financial situation but they're in a job they hate they're in a um, situation where it's not necessarily for the money. How do you know how to pursue something and how do you know when it's worth pursuing stuff? Because I do see some people who have a lot of money, they pursue and they let go, they pursue and they let go and they don't, they kind of flounder around because they don't have anything that grabs them. How would you direct somebody to find something that grabbed them? Well, first of all, I think that when you're in your 20s, I feel like today, all these kids, even like rich kids, everyone or not, they all just want to be entrepreneurs. And it sounds weird to say this because, of course, I champion that. But I think you want to get a few jobs first so you can try to possibly figure out what does interest you. You can't really know that. You think you know, but you don't. Like So so I, I always think that when you're younger, especially, that's the time to like especially if money isn't a concern, to try different things, just to see what, what interests you. And then in terms of pursuing an entrepreneurial uh, pursuit, if that's what you mean, 
I think it needs to feel, and you only know this feeling if you've had it, it needs to practically feel like you can't breathe unless you are doing that thing. If you're just sort of like, oh, maybe it would be fun to have a restaurant or whatever it is, I, you know, I'm making it. Right. That's not enough. It's going to be so much harder than you know. It's going to take more money. More things are going to go wrong. Um, so, so, so it's never going to work, even if you just think it sounds fun, because there's nothing, I mean, there's something fun, obviously, about having your own business, but it's a lot more than fun. It's so, a slog. <laughs> it's a slog. <laughs> right. And everything that can go wrong will go wrong. And you'll find yourself doing things you never had any interest in doing, like Matt, if, if it's successful. Don't even necessarily want to be doing that. There's just so much. So I really think that you have to have that feeling, like that feeling. I mean, it's, it's hard to describe, but you know it when you when you see it. And it's sort of what I said with Liz Lang Maternity that I couldn't. I felt that if I didn't pursue this, if somebody else, if I ever saw a maternity line that looked like the one in my head, I would. You know, I don't mean this literally, but it's almost like I would kill myself. Like it would be too yes. much. Like I had to do it. So mm. there was no way I could possibly lose interest. But lots of other little ideas. Yeah, that's not, you know, that's not real. It's more hobby-ish than, than anything else. What was, what would you say was the biggest sort of obstacle you had to overcome when you, when you do any reinvention? Are, is each one different or? Think, sorry. Is, no, that's all right. I just, yeah. I, I'm wondering if each obstacle is different or if it's just an emotional kind of thing that you have to decide whether you're going to do it or not. Or do you just kind of go with the flow? I think uh, the biggest thing that maybe starting anything new, no matter what it is, they will all share in common, is the fact, which has surprised me at the beginning, is that anytime somebody does something new, nobody ever thinks it's a good idea, including yeah. in this atmosphere we live in today, where it's all you go girl and you start that and you know, you know, all of this. It's not really true when it comes down to it. Once you tell someone your idea, often I find, They'll be like, oh, I don't know. I don't get it. And that's because you're seeing something that doesn't exist already. So if everyone else saw it, uh, it wouldn't be a new idea. So it's almost like you're seeing the invisible. And I, I distinctly remember that with Lasagna Maternity, but I've seen it every step along the way. But with Lasagna Maternity, the very friends who told me they had nothing to wear, who were squeezing themselves into Michael Kors and Calvin Klein and Donna Karen, when I told them my idea, which should have been tailor-made for them, they were all like, oh, I don't know. I make do. I don't think I'd really need it. Nah. Interesting. And retailers too. Retailers would be like, oh, pregnant women, they don't, they don't want to spend They money. don't buy clothes, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, they won't buy clothes. It, it, that's they crazy. won't spend money on clothes because right. it's, it's a passing thing. Right, but it's actually the only time they have to spend money on clothes because nothing in their wardrobe's fitting them. So, so, and but I don't just mean it about Liz Lang maternity. I think you kind of obviously you have to be reasonable and you have to listen to some crit criticism, of course. But I also think if you think your idea is good, you have to kind of put blinders on and just kind of like you know sort of try to shut out the naysayers and try to fight also the other thing that's so hard is your own internal battle because it's very 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 hard not to not to doubt yourself I think and not to feel like it's not a good idea and if it were a good idea someone smarter than me better than me would have done it before so I think it's both that internal battle that you have to sort of fight and then the external noise that will most likely be negative despite all the Instagram aphorisms. <laughs> very good you're no it's great um but what about as you get older Liz how has that changed you've had a huge success and now you're doing something else and do you see any barriers to being an older woman do you see any advantages what do you see 
Yeah, I never really feel these barriers that everybody talks about. Um, yeah, so no, I think it's kind of, I mean, the advantage is that I'm at a place in my life now where I can kind of decide what I want to do. And I'm very familiar with myself and my likes and my dislikes, as opposed to my insecure 20 something year old version of myself. So I think that's a positive. And I think that women who are, you know, who are around my age or younger or older or whatever they are, um, who want to pursue something else, like to me, I'd always just go for it. It's always like, uh, you know, the only thing standing in your way is you. I mean, I'm not saying like mortgage your house and, you know, bet against your kid's future education or something. But, but aside from that, um, I don't, I, I, I can't imagine not pursuing, I guess. Mm-hmm. Is that, I don't know. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure. yeah. No, no. And I, and I like the, I understand that if somebody else does, does this, I'll kill myself. <laughs> yeah, I think Because you great- can see it. Yeah, yes. you can see it. Yeah, that's like Covey Club. I had a bunch of people say, well, I already have my group of friends. I don't need any other friends. I'm like, well, you may not, but there are a lot of people who don't and they're actually in in silos and they don't have friends across brands and across different silos. They have all their friends are lawyers or all their friends are writers. And there's a big, big, huge window of time when your kids are older and you're getting out there again, if you want to, where you need to shake things up. And it's, a, it's interesting. It all, and, I, and I'm sure you found this too, obviously with what you did, but I really do believe if you build it, they will come, right? A hundred percent. Weird, right? And until you build it, they don't know that they want to come. So right. you can't let them, right. It's like some of the very friends that said to you, I don't need any more friends, blah, blah, blah. Right. They probably like Cubby Club. Like it's right. like, they don't even know, people don't even know what they need until you show them what they need. Um, so, so that's the problem. Like the feedback that one gets is often kind of skewed and, you know, no, I'm good. And we don't need that or whatever, but then, or they, or you hear a lot of, oh, um, I thought of that too, which is fine. This maybe is a slightly different point, but it's always like, to me, there's a huge difference between you thought of it, but you went out and didn't do it. Big Mm -hmm. difference. Yes. Yes. And people have said that, that the big difference between an entrepreneur and a not entrepreneur is that they're willing to do the things that have to be done to make it happen. And lots of people have the idea, exactly. but they don't execute. A million people told me they wanted to make cute maternity clothes. Totally. I'm yeah, sure. Everybody tells me that. I'm like, okay. But you well, did it. Where you was did it? it. <laughs> right. <laughs> so looking forward for you, what do you, do you have any sense of what will happen with the podcast? Do you have any, do you have you, any I don't, so- sense of where it's going to go? I mean, a ton of people have been approaching me from really from, it's so strange for me, from Hollywood, you know, people that want to do the movie. I could see that. And I could so, see that. Yeah, I don't, and I can't decide how I feel about that. And I don't feel enormous amount of pressure to decide because I don't, you know, it's not that. It, it, so, so it's something that I'm kind of thinking about, talking to people, trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And I'm really busy also, you know, really designing and see, and being the CEO of FIG. So I'm busy with both. So, mm-hmm. um, so we'll see. And I also feel okay. one thing that one thing that starting Liz Lang maternity taught me was you never know where you're going to be in a few years or what's going to happen. That's right. Never. So totally. Well, awesome. Is there any last bit of wisdom or direction you want to leave our listeners with about when they're trying to become entrepreneurs? And most of the women who are listening and the most of the women that I cater to are over the age of 40 because everybody else is talking to the 20 year olds. Is there any last piece of wisdom you want to impart? 
just the importance of like not letting your, I mean, it's not letting your sort of internal self doubts that we all have, particularly as women, uh, get in your way every day. If you're, if you have an idea, sometimes I even think and I, that just do a little something to move it forward every day. Even if you're feeling overwhelmed and you're not sure you're going to do it at any moment, you don't have to, but just every day do a little something for it. And, you know, you'll just be closer and closer. And the next thing you know, maybe you'll have done it. And do you agree that a lot of the reinvention, this is my theory, having studied this for now 10 years and, and deep dived into it at Covey Club, I really believe that the first step is just putting one foot in front of the other and starting. Like what you're saying, just even if it's, you know, pulling down something off the internet and reading about it or joining a club or it's one it doesn't have to be, oh my God, I'm going to start this whole reinvention. It's literally just starting. A hundred percent. That's, I mean, I didn't know that was your theory, but yes, that's exactly what I was saying. Like, it's overwhelming to think of it in too big of a thing. Do one right. thing, as you said, read one thing about it. Go like make right. a phone call. Do right. A phone call even. Yes. Every day that, that sort of, you know, takes you a step closer. It yeah. doesn't matter what it is. It can be the easiest, least threatening, scary thing that you could think of. Right. Great. Well, Liz, where can everybody find you on the web and find your series? Oh, great. Okay. So the series you listen, wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, and it's the Just Enough family. So you just search. Uh, we have a website that's fig.com, F-I-G-U-E.com. And I'm really active on Instagram and it's at Liz Lang official. Awesome. Oh, and just explain your Instagram a little bit because you do this wonderful thing, which is all old celebrity pictures, which is there a reason behind that? What's the reason? Yeah, it's kind of like what we were talking about. Maybe it's an age thing. I knew I liked Instagram, but I knew I didn't want to be posting selfies. I, you know, I'm 55 years old. I have no interest in pictures of myself um, in Instagram. I just didn't grow up that way. So I started posting and I still do just images that please me, you know, whether it's old Slim Aaron's photographs of attractive people doing attractive things or celebrities I think are chic or scenes from movies that I love. And then I use it as a, as a, as a, as a jumping off point and I riff on it. And then I usually just tell a personal story. I'm very comfortable with the personal story, less comfortable with the personal photograph. So my Instagram is kind of a, a mashup of that. And it, you know, seems to be working. I love the interaction. I love all the comments I get and commenting back. I, I really love it. And maybe it's I'm just a retailer in my blood. I like I like people and I like, I mean, I'm not selling them anything, but I like the I like the interaction. Yeah, yeah. It's different. I like it because it's different, but I was like, wonder why she's doing that, you know? And I, I just thought it was really it's interesting and it's I got a little romance to it, which I can't say there's much of that in Instagram today. So well, I find you. it nostalgic and romantic and tends to be you know I think it's kind of romantic yeah I just you know for me personally there's so much noise right now I as you, as you can probably tell it's not it's not a statement I just choose not to be political not to talk right. about anything other I like to I guess it's truthfully like the old yogurt I like to keep it kind of light and lively that's just <laughs> light light. Um, great wonderful and on that i think on light and lively we can finish up thank you liz i appreciate you. your, your conversation take care So I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Liz Lang and all about her reinvention. Wow, it's just amazing. 
I knew her when she was a kid at Vogue, but she had something else, I will tell you. There were a lot of kids at Vogue I didn't really get to know, but she was personable, she was smart, she was interesting, she was different, and look at all the stuff she's done. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. I hope you got some inspiration from Liz, who just keeps going at age 55. She's not done, and she could be. She sold a she sold a company. She doesn't have to keep going, but she loves to keep going. So I hope that inspires you, and I hope that you got some tips and tricks. I also think it's a great podcast to pass along to any 20-somethings who are trying to figure out what they're going to do next. Um, if they're really struggling and saying, you know, I don't think I can do much more than this or be much more than my family. Here you go. Here's a story that will put that all on, on its head. So thank you for joining us. I hope if you're interested in reinvention, you will come over to Covey Club and join us at coveyclub.com where we talk reinvention all the time. We create strategies. I also have a wonderful download for you, which is 31 badass tips and tricks for launching your reinvention without fear. I hope you'll download that, get yourself started. As Liz and I said, the whole thing to reinvention is just doing that first thing. And I love where she says, do it every day. Do one thing, pick up a phone. You don't have to do the whole day, one thing. And it does get you going. There is momentum that happens by doing one little thing every single day. So I hope you enjoyed this and I hope you'll subscribe and we'll see you over at coveyclub.com. Take care.